Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I'm going to test you on something. I'm going to give you some names. And as soon as you can put together who these names are, what these names have in common, why you should know these names, honk your horn, scream it at the person sitting next to you, open your window and yell it out the window, whatever. As soon as you figure out who these people are, just let someone near you know. Here we go. Rosalie Abella, Michael Moldavar, Andromash, Kara Katsanis, Clement Gascon. Anything yet? Anybody got anything? Suzanne Cote, Russell Brown, Malcolm Rowe, Sheila Martin, Richard Wagner. Anybody? Anybody got anything on who that list of people is? Nine people. Maybe that'll help you if we say nine. Well, let me throw a few more names at you. Of Those are all Canadians, by the way. Let me throw you some names of their American counterparts, past and present. Tell me if you can start to figure out who these Americans are. Earl Warren, John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sandra Day O'Connor, William Rehnquist, Thurgood Marshall. You know who they are, right? American Supreme Court justices. All those first ones I mentioned were all Canadian Supreme Court justices. And you probably didn't know any of them if you are a typical Canadian. There's no shame in that. Well, there is probably some shame, but it doesn't make you all that unique. Most people, I would argue, probably don't know who they are. Well, Andrew Lawton wrote a piece in the National Post today with the headline, Canadians know nothing about their activist Supreme Court. That is dangerous. Let me bring Andrew in here. Andrew, how are you today? Hey, doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's, I read your piece today, and I got to tell you, I had never really thought about this, which is probably part of the problem, like the rest of us, but I hadn't really thought about this. And then when I got into it, I thought, you know what? You're right. I don't know anything about our Supreme Court. Not very much. I'm sure most people don't know. How is it that we as Canadians know so little about this rather important part of our governance? Yeah, I wrote the piece, and even then as you were rhyming off those names, I was like, I think he's going Supreme Court justices. Let me wait and see. And, and some people might have honked when they heard Richard Wagner, but you were talking about the jurist, not the, uh, the composer Wagner. Uh, the thing <laughs> is, we have a Supreme Court that is a lot less politicized than the Supreme Court in the United States. And this is really what inspired the piece. With the retirement of Justice Anthony Kennedy, basically the political world in the U.S. went into an absolute frenzy. I mean, this is weeks and and then months of coverage. And in Canada, we literally had a a vacancy in the Chief Justice spot, and I don't think there was more than a couple of days of of stories between Beverly McLaughlin retiring and and Richard Wagner uh, getting appointed. And, And I feel that as a country... We are are poorly served when the Supreme Court is making very significant decisions and we aren't engaged or invested in that court and the process uh, by which they're selected. You would almost think when you consider this, when you consider how anonymous our justices are compared to the, I don't know if the right word is celebrity, but certainly very well-known names that hold the seats in the American Supreme Court, you would almost think that theirs has immense power to shape their entire constitution and everything else and to to shape the way the country looks. And ours is an afterthought that really doesn't do anything. They are a lot more similar in their power than probably a lot of people give consideration to. Oh, absolutely. And and I'd say in, in some respects, and some lawyers may haggle over this, but in some respects, the Canadian court is more powerful because there is a lot less scrutiny to it. And, and we've seen a number of uh, judicial decisions from our Supreme Court, even in the last couple of years, 
where judges ha- have made decisions that, that really go outside of just deciding whether something is constitutional or not, whereas in the U.S., I, I think there are actually narrower parameters for the judges to rule than in Canada. And, and when you compound that with the lack of, of oversight, for lack of a better term, our justices have almost more power, but Canadians really let them work in the shadows. So why have we ignored them? Why have we not paid any attention to this? You know, I don't have an answer to that. I, I, one of the, the big challenges is that when judges have made decisions that have ruled against what people would argue are, are conservative positions, conservatives in Canada jump up and go, oh, you know, the activist judges and all of that. Look, and I'm a conservative, but I also have to look at the fact that six of the nine justices that are on the bench right now in Canada were appointed by Stephen Harper, six of nine. So if you're talking about judges that are really being dragged through the ringer in, in kind of not nomination hearings, we don't have those, but in the vetting process of, you know, how are you looking at the law? What's your background? What are your decisions? How do you usually approach these things? There would be a lot more of, a, of an ideological uh, bent on, on the bench. And, and some people would argue that maybe it, it's not a bad thing that we don't have it, but I think it is a bad thing that we as Canadians don't know where our judges stand on these issues. Yet they're still deciding things like assisted dying, like religious freedom, like bringing beer across the borders. And I'm pretty sure these judges are going to, within the next couple of years, be looking at our marijuana laws when a number of things come up along that vein. And and I think that we as Canadians uh, and also the Canadian politicians need to start taking uh, the institutions like the court a lot more seriously. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Andrew Lawton, who wrote a piece in the National Post today, Canadians know nothing about their activist Supreme Court. That is dangerous. That's the headline. It's an interesting piece because most of us don't even think in this country about our Supreme Court. It is not something that's front of mind. It's not something that's part of our regular conversation, unlike in the States. And Andrew, you, you mentioned just before the break that six of the nine justices that are on Canada's Supreme Court right now are Stephen Harper nominees. He put them there, conservative prime minister. And yet this court rather regularly, I think most people, liberal or conservative, say this court leans liberal. So did Stephen Harper then whiff on who he put in there and just ruin this for conservatives forever? Or is there something in our system that's different that makes it impossible for Canadians to have judges of certain backgrounds or certain leanings? I don't know if the system itself prevents it. I, I think the culture prevents it, because clearly if the Prime Minister and his team didn't think or or didn't really succeed in stacking the bench in such a way that conservative laws will be upheld for the next 20 years, then it, it's really because that's just not a part of the dialogue in, in Canada. I mean, systemically, they can put whoever they want on the bench. And even though it's not a lifetime appointment like it is in the U.S., our, our justices stay there until they're 75. So you can actually, for decades, wield a lot of influence over the future of the law in the country if you do stack the court. And and the same would have been true of Jean Chrétien and and Paul Martin in that era. And again, they had a a tenure where, before Stephen Harper put his six on there, most of the justices were very much liberal and and still didn't back the government. And to be clear, I'm not pushing for making the Supreme Court just a, an extension of, of the government's political arm. But, but I am saying that governments would be very well suited to start taking this seriously because Supreme Courts can become these, you know, pseudo-governments in and of themselves when they start going outside of, of really where I think most Canadians would expect and, and hope 
the Supreme Court would focus its efforts. And, and, you know, the tricky part about this, the confusing part about this, maybe the concerning part in some cases, is that I don't know that I really want Canada's Supreme Court to get into the situation where the U.S. is, where we go through these just blood sport hearings and where, <laughs> and, and you know, and everybody, if you're on the left, you hate every justice that's on the right. And if you're on the right, you hate every justice that's on the left. But at the same time, Andrew, I don't think we're necessarily in Canada, we like to maybe think we're more pure this way, but every person, a judge, a lawyer, a hum, uh, just an average person, we all have leanings. We all have worldviews. We all have, you know, everyone who's on this bench is going to lean one way or another. Nobody is purely objective. And would it maybe be better to have some idea wh- what that was before they took that spot? Oh, you're very right. There's a risk of having these ideological litmus tests put put in. And, and what we see in the U.S. is is a judge pro-life. Is it what's the religious belief of a judge? Now, I don't want to go that down that road in Canada. But things that are a lot more central. What's your view on freedom of speech? What's your view on freedom of assembly? What's your view on provincial rights versus federal rights? I mean, these are, are very core philosophical questions that I think Canadians really have a duty to know about potential justices. And, and I think that governments who are appointing these people have a, have a duty to really delve into those things. And it's not about, you know, are you a conservative or a liberal? It's not about, you did you volunteer 40 years ago on some liberal campaign? It's about really understanding that core philosophy of how they view the Constitution and how they view the different levels of government. And, and that's where I think we need to have some political oversight, not, again, politicization wholly, but I would take that over the complacency that we have now. But while I tend to agree with you, I wonder if it's possible to crack open that door without kicking it wide open. If you start to go a little bit down that road, are you not inevitably going to end up in an American system where it becomes the full Monty? There's definitely a risk there, but I would look to the Senate as one example, where people are appointed specifically with a political affiliation up until Justin Trudeau kind of changed that around a bit. And we didn't see it become a nightmarish U.S. congressional hearing-esque display when senators were appointed. There was scrutiny, there was oversight, people vetted them. But ultimately, you saw political appointments that, that were not that were that were actually still met with a lot of shrugging and complacency by Canadians, quite frankly. But I think the Senate shows that we do have a, a mechanism where people can make appointments, and there is some politics there. But the whole country doesn't become theatrical about it. So the fact that, and to go back to your point, and I, I think your point that the, the main point, the underlying point of this is very well taken of your piece today, which is we really are ignorant towards the Supreme Court and with the decisions that it's making and the impact that it's having, it's dangerous to not know anything about who the people are, the nine people who are having this impact. Is this a flaw in the education system that kids are not being taught this as part of their curriculum? Is this a problem with the media that we just ignore it? Is this a pop culture thing because it's not sexy that we just decide to find other things. Why are we not aware of this? Well, no, I think the one day that I spent learning about this in civics is probably more than I've had to talk about it anywhere else in my life. So I'd say the education system is doing a better job than the media at raising the uh, the Supreme Court issue. I think that we need to cover a lot more of these cases in the Supreme Court, and that is a media question. That's also a question about politicians being a lot more vocal about these things. Because if Canadians started to better understand how much is at stake when the Supreme Court is engaged on an issue, they would start to be more concerned with the actual makeup of the body itself.
Yeah, I um, I don't know when we're going to get around to learning about this because again, unless Canada starts getting some really, really sexy cases that go to the Supreme Court, I don't see a whole lot of people suddenly becoming interested in this. I don't, and that's that's probably by the time one of those finally comes along, it's probably too late. But it's um, it is a really interesting discussion. I would encourage people to go read this piece. It's uh, Andrew Lawton. Canadians know nothing about their activist Supreme Court. That's dangerous. It's on the National Post website right now. You can go read it. Andrew, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The persistent, predictable, hilarious stupidity of criminals. We love talking about dumb, dumb, dumb people because there's no shortage that we never run out of them. And it seems that week after week, whatever has been the bar that has been set by someone dumb, there's always someone coming along who is willing and eager to try to eclipse that and move it to a new level of sheer stupidity. So guess what we're going to talk about? Well, before I get to that though, I want to go back to something we talked about last week. I'm going to bring Will in for a second here because Will is a big fan of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, well, you don't even know what I'm going to say. You're a big fan of that, but you're also a big fan because we talked last week on this show about a uh, thing that was happening on the weekend, which was an outdoor escape room. Yes. Okay. So, and I don't know if you ever had a chance to go to it or whatever, but it was in Burlington. And for people who are not regular listeners who don't know what an escape room is, if you haven't been there, I mean, not that you have to be a listener to know what an escape room is, but... It's essentially a big, giant, life-size puzzle, right? I mean, how do you describe it? It's a bunch of quizzes and puzzles and things you have to do to get to to solve a series of questions and puzzles and things to finally get a lock combination to get out of a room or something yeah, like that. Yeah, th- I think that sums it up very well. And it usually will take you, well, there's, I mean, you're usually <laughs> in a group and so different people will handle different tasks and so... Even if you're not great at this particular kind of puzzle, maybe there's someone who is and you can be good, but it would be exceedingly difficult, I would expect, exceedingly difficult for one person to have to do an escape room by themselves because there are a lot of different things and different brain smarts areas. So you may be great at math and so you could do all the math stuff. Someone else may be good at language. Someone else may be good at moving puzzles around, whatever else. Brings us to our idiot of the week. Oh boy. Authorities in Oregon say a burglar, a burglar called 911 on himself when he broke into a business and found himself trapped in an escape room. (laughs) Oh. A burglar broke into an escape room business and found himself locked in one of them and couldn't get himself out and eventually had to call the police. Wow. I think that is just the, I mean, not only is that hilarious, it is the absolute definition of irony. Yes. No, that is, that is amazing. That needs to be a movie now. That people pay for the right to go into an escape room for the fun of trying to escape. This goofball goes in to steal stuff, ends up in an escape room and realizes I got no hope of getting out of here. Now, did he know that he was breaking into an escape room? I don't know. It's unclear. But I would love to know, see, I'm not, uh, by saying this, I'm not announcing that I'm about to launch into a life of crime. But if I was him, if I had broken into somewhere, if I was going to steal something and suddenly found myself in an escape room, the 
I'm going to keep working on the puzzles until morning <laughs> when the people come to open the place, right? I'm not going to yeah. give up that easily. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike some other places where you go, oh, I'm done. Like the, uh, there's a giant, you know, uh, bank vault door that's got electronic stuff that I'll, ne- I, it's impossible for me to get out of it. Like it would be literally impossible to break out that you would call this. I'm like, I've got three or four or five hours until they come. I'm going to work on this thing. Maybe I'll figure it out and I'll be able to get out of this place. That to me seems like not only the logical, but quite frankly, the fun way to do it. The fun way to be a burglar. And if, if in the morning he hasn't solved it and all the employees show up, he could just pretend that they forgot about him and locked him in before they left last night. (laughs) Here's the thing about this though. You know that while no business, this, I mean, no business is eager to have burglaries, crimes Mm -hmm. committed against, anything like that. This place is beyond thrilled (laughs) that this guy tried to break in and couldn't get out. This is now the greatest escape room place in the world. Yeah. We even catch our own burglars. (laughs) Criminals cannot get out of this. So if you can escape, you have done something amazing. This this goes on their brochures now. Definitely. This is their this they're gonna change the name of the place and this is gonna be their sign. Like the unbreakable, the unescapable room. When the guy is out of jail, they can uh, hire him on as their mascot or something. But see, isn't that the other part about this? How many people do we, how many times do we hear about computer hackers who get hired on? Yeah. Because they now know where the weaknesses are. So we're going to hire the criminal to show (laughs) us the soft spots so we can fix it. Except the problem with this guy is. He didn't, he couldn't. He's too stupid to (laughs) even get hired by the. So the only thing he'd be good for now is to be their mascot. They should create a special escape room where the objective is to free a someone to trapped free inside an idiot. the escape room. Yes, we're going to we're going to you're going to have your group and this idiot who's stuck in there who's of no use to anybody. <laughs> he cannot answer any parts of this. He can't solve any riddles. You've got to get worse. him out before the police arrive to arrest him. Every day there is someone else striving to lift the banner higher of criminal stupidity. And every day we will strive to bring you their stories. We've got to come up with a name for this segment. We'll figure it out. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, let me bring in Don Robertson, owner, operator, manager, equipment supplier, bottle filler upper, puck supplier, everything else. Have they done Das Real McCoys? I don't do the jocks. Don't, do, don't clean the jocks, no. And, uh, well, that's probably for the best. Uh, who, who on your team does that? Sadly, nobody. <laughs> the players. <laughs> we'll the, one, look, the one I'm cleaning on their own. Yeah, we'll we'll look after a lot of stuff for you, but that one is your uh, your responsibility, and also of Com Choice Realty in uh, in Dundas. Um, you know what? I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's been talked about a lot today. But uh, I know you knew a little bit about Ray. You knew him. You didn't know him real well, but you knew about Ray Emery. Uh, just a sad story this week. It is. Um, it, you know, it's sad with anybody that dies at the age of 35 years old, whether you played in the NHL or not. And, um, you know, um, Boris Gospic played for us, uh, for the Real McCoys, uh, a lot of games, and they were best buddies. 
and uh, you know you hear some awful good things about people when bad things happen sometimes, and it's an awful way to have good things said about you, and people remember the community work and all the things that you've done in the community, but you can't fix that. And if you're a, even, I mean, if you're a 35-year-old carpenter and it happens, it's tragic. Um, higher profile guys um, that have done great things in the community obviously get, get accolades and uh, condolences that come flowing in from all across the National Hockey League. I mean, he was he was really well known. I mean, he's uh, he was a really complicated guy, and that's one of the interesting parts about this story because lots of people are just I don't know what the right word is vanilla or whatever that you just you know they go and they play and you don't really know much about. I mean, I've I've heard in the last couple of days a lot of people saying a lot of very nice things about Ray Emery as a guy. But he's got a complicated story. There was stuff that he did on the ice. He was a bit of a wild man at times on the ice, and he had some things happen off the ice. It, his, his story, it, it takes a little working through. to for people, people have to read what is being said by the people who knew him sometimes to get past the what you thought you knew about him. He's that kind of guy. Well, and, and he didn't totally run from it. I mean, he acknowledged uh, that he had some struggles. It was in your story today. He talked to Sports Illustrated about it. And I think there's something to be said for a guy that mans up and uh, doesn't try and tell everybody he's a perfect angel when, you know, perhaps he's not. And I don't know very many perfect angels in any event in the circles I swing in. And I know some pretty good people. And none of us are perfect. And, uh, but by the accounts I get, he was a. He was a pretty stand-up guy. We uh, we knew he was around. Uh, we knew Stony Creek had talked to him. We knew Ham- Hamilton had talked to him last year and to play senior <clears throat> hockey. Play senior hockey. Yeah, and I had never uh, I'd never met Ray. I, although we had a whole bunch of mutual friends when we did talk, and I was in trouble for a goalie on a Friday night, and I thought I had him talked into helping us out, and uh, he just couldn't get out of his commitment, and uh, it didn't work out. But that would have been a lot of fun because he kn- knows Mike Mole and. He would have known a lot of guys on our club, and he would have known a lot of guys in the league because he was that kind of guy, and he's one of the very few uh, goaltenders um, that come from the area, although he's from Cayuga. There um, are not – well, there's a few. you got Alan Bester. you got Frank Caprice. you got, uh, God bless him, the late Grant Butler from Dundas who played – Cam Talbot from Caledonia. Played he's still the, playing for Edmonton right now. Yeah, Grant played in the original six, so he'd have probably played in the NHL. There's only one there. Yeah, Talbot's still shining, but you know you get past Bester and 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 Caprice and and, and I don't, can we can't count Ken Dryden because I mean he was born here and left the city while he was still steaming. I mean he was he was basically moved out of here as a newborn, so I don't know that he really counts. I mean he count he counts I, if we want him to count, I suppose. But yeah, but he doesn't count. I mean he didn't grow up here. He didn't play no. minor hockey here. No. Neither did neither did Talbot. Likely, probably played in Caledonia. I don't know if he played for the Corvairs or not. Met his dad. His Who's dad's that? a great guy, uh, Camp Talbot. Oh, Camp Talbot. Yeah. And uh, Emery would have played in uh, Cayuga, I'm sure. Dun- well, and then Dunville. And then played got drafted, Junior C in Dunville. And then got drafted to the Sioux Greyhounds. Yeah. You know, Donnie Edwards. Jeez, Donnie Don Edwards. Edwards. Don Edwards played for me. We won an Allen Cup in '87. And my favorite, my all-time favorite Hamilton goalie, Andy Brown. Yep. Last no goalie, mask. Last goalie not to wear a mask. Uh, and I talk, I did a story on him a lot. Not sure that makes him the smartest Hamilton goalie. I talked to him probably 13 or 14 years ago, did a story on him, and it. I, I, I wish, I, 
I wish I could go do it again because one of the best parts for me was him talking about getting hit in the face, <laughs> which happened often. And he would talk about it as a boink. And I was like, you know, that sounds like a comic. That sounds like a funny thing, a boink. Like it just, and he would, he says there was one year when there was not one day in his season that he did not have one of his two eyes black. He had all of his teeth knocked out right back to the molars that he had to have replacements. He had hundreds of stitches. And if I recall the story correctly, and I'd have to go back, but he did something. He either cut off a toe or sliced a toe in half. He worked in a lumber yard in the summertime during the off season. And he did something. I think he sliced off a part of his big toe. And because you, he had to go to training camp not long after that. You didn't want to tell them that you were injured because they would just send you to the farm team right away. And he was competing for a job. And he says, I'm playing without a mask. Guys are whistling pucks around my head. And of course, day one of camp, someone takes a (laughs) slap shot and hits me right on the toe of my skate. And he goes, I thought I was going to pass out. (laughs) All the, all the times a puck hit me in the face felt nothing like that. Anyway. Remember, uh. Talking about stitches and goaltenders without masks, I remember uh, Jerry Cheever's famous mask yep. where the trainer would put, when he got hit, they would guess how many stitches he would have got. And that's back when he was playing for Don Cherry, but it was uh, interesting. Anyway, it's 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 a sad, uh, it's a it sad couple days, and God bless Ray Emery because um, he's gone too young as any... Anybody 35 any, is. Anybody 35 is, but uh, well-known and uh, by all accounts... A, just a great guy. Switching to something far less, unless you're Croatian, far less painful. Uh, World Cup ended on the weekend. Let me throw this out to you because we have a World Cup of soccer, which is the world's biggest sporting event, even bigger than the Olympics. Why is the World Cup of soccer, and maybe you don't agree anyway, but if you do, why is the World Cup of soccer so good when the World Cup of hockey, frankly, is miserable. Canada Cups and stuff are good, but the World Cup that we've had in the last few times have been ridiculous. The um, World Baseball Classic generally is ridiculous. The World Basketball Championship, nobody really pays all that much attention to it. Go down the list. I can't, all the other sports. Why is the World Cup of soccer so much better than every other sport? I... If you, way, if you think I, it is. I'm a long way from the biggest soccer fan in the world. I played it in public school and probably high school at gym. But uh, I think one of the first simple answers is they call it the beautiful game. I, I, I don't follow it well enough to call it beautiful. But I, I would suggest to you that there may not be a country in the world where soccer isn't played. And you can't say Canada. that. Canada. Well, still played. <laughs> But you know, I mean, there isn't there isn't baseball, basketball, no. or hockey, or 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 our form of football played. Uh, our form of football hardly is played outside of uh, North America. That's so true. When you look at the world, and it's a big place, as long as you don't have to paint it. If if I'm true, if I'm right, which on this one I'm not sure I am, but I'm guessing every country plays soccer because it's inexpensive. You can play it in a field, and you need a ball. I, okay, so far... What's Croatia? I, four million people? Croatia was, yeah, four and a half. Okay, so there, so there's more people in the GTHA than there is in Croatia, and they went to the finals. It's a big deal. It, it, well, and I, look, I, your point is well taken that everyone around the world cares about this, and so therefore it's going to be It's a true good. World Cup. That, that is true. However, 
they don't let every team, every country into the World Cup. There's only there were only 36 teams this time, or 32 teams, whatever it was. I can't remember now. It's over. I've forgotten. Um, but in the World Hockey Championship, World Championship Hockey, it, it they let in only the best teams, not 32. World Baseball Classic, they let in a bunch of teams. I, well, I, I understand that it's played around the world, but you still could make the tournament. Whatever amount of people or whatever number of teams you let in, you could still have a tournament that is as compelling as the World Cup. I could you not, theoretically? I don't think so, and here's why. Uh, there might be 32 teams there, but there are there are... It's an interesting setup. There are teams that are sometimes better that don't make it that are in the cup yes. because of qualifying. Yep. So you pr- first of all, you probably couldn't have 32 teams in the World Baseball Championship if you let them all in. And what bass or what foot or soccer does, football, is uh, they eliminate like the Netherlands were hot the last time. They didn't make it. Italy. Italy didn't make it. I mean, I th- those two are pretty good soccer countries. They've done okay. Right? So when you look at the elimination process, when you get to 32, you've probably got 20 of the best teams in the world. And my understanding is if they don't have the qualifying setup that they do, it would be the European Cup. Uh, probably. Well, European Cup was some South, European South American Cup. Like I, I listen. You can put what I know um, about soccer in the water bottle in front of me, but you got to think that uh, the Netherlands and Italy were better than a, a few of the teams that were there. But okay, wouldn't that though? Because they couldn't beat the right team, they didn't qualify. But aren't you arguing against yourself then? Because I do it all the time. I know, so. but no, no, but. Look, I love the idea that it is a true world championship that, and everybody, pretty much every team in the world has, every country in the world has tried to get in there. That part, the the qualifying for the World Cup is unique. But once you get down to the 32 teams that are going to be there, to have some teams that are not that strong would not, you would think, lead to as good a tournament as the World Hockey Championship or the World Baseball Classic where you've got only the best teams there. I just don't understand why these other tournaments can't match. Once you've gotten to the tournament itself, not all the... The qualifying for World Cup is is all by itself, is very neat. But once you get to it, why you can't have the same excitement, the same level, the same must-see every single game as the World Cup in soccer because that is the case. Even if you... Don, if you are Italian and you are rooting exclusively for Italy, you will still watch the other games and not miss one. Whereas, even with the World Hockey Championship, if you're a Canadian, do I really make a point of tuning in to see Germany versus Denmark? Probably not. I'm going to try and make two points, and hopefully I can remember the second one. Uh, I would suggest to you, whether it's basketball, baseball, or hockey, uh, more traditional North American sports, that very seldom are the best two teams in the final. True. You can make a huge argument that the American League East, three or four of the teams are better than the American League Central altogether. Some so, years, not this year, so, but yes, yeah, some years. Okay, but you, I mean, you can yep, make the yep. argument that, that can happen. Yep, for sure. And so, consequently, the best two teams in Major League Baseball this year may be Boston and New York Yankees and throw the rest of them out. And one's going to be a, a wild card and may lose that one game. Yep. So when you look at the, the qualifying and, when you, and you use the argument to say, well, the best teams aren't all there. Well, the best teams aren't all there all the time anyway in any particular sport because of the division they're in. 
And remember, I told you I was had two points. Well, I've forgotten the. Well, second. <laughs> you'll you'll find it again. Well, eight minutes or but eight as, seconds. As I say, I just I there are people who, and I think a lot of people watched every single World Cup game, or at least as much as they could. They weren't they weren't discriminating against a particular game because they don't have a rooting interest. They oh. would turn it on. So when when I talked earlier about the fact that why is it so exciting and everything else because I think it is more of a true world championship. I mean you got to get out of Hamilton and North America and everything else when you have participants across the world in every country presumably having some form of soccer maybe not a national team but probably because they have B pools and everything else mm-hmm. that makes it a global sport. It may may in fact be the only global sport. I would think that's. Uh, I would think it. Well, no, it's one of one of a couple. I mean, high lies next. No, but maybe. track and field. Track and field. Everybody, everybody runs, right? But that may be the only other one that is a true world sport. Where track and field. Although, even with track and field, to to help your point, I mean, there are certain events that certain parts of the world excel at and certain events that other parts of the world excel at. It's not a completely level playing field. Yeah, the Kenyans can run from. Well, they can run to the Olympics they, they, for wherever they are. They do exceptionally well in the distance events. The yeah. Americans, uh, the the Caribbean countries tend to do really well in the sprints. But this, but this is uh, a single sport. So to compare it to the exactly. Olympics, no, fair enough. And and uh, maybe maybe the Tour de France. I I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's quite as exciting. It's not as worldly or anything else. But I'm thinking about a single sport. That would rival the no, world. And there probably Cup. isn't. There probably isn't. And, and, and if you're if you're the second, boy, you're a long way back. Again, I'm going back to track and field. I'm trying to think. As far as the World Cup, it's the you know viewership and everything is immense. Is the hundred meter final? Does it on a per capita basis get as much viewers as as the World? Cup? Probably, probably for that few seconds, that ten seconds, whatever. Plus the lead up, you will get the same viewers. I, so so I'm, so this thing goes on for a month. Yeah, over a month. And and the and the hundred meters in the men's world championship goes on for less than ten and seconds. And that's and that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The, the, that in that ten seconds, you may have the viewership of the World Cup. I just I'm looking around. I'm thinking if I am running international hockey, if I'm running international baseball, if I'm running whatever. I am. I, I don't know what they're doing, but I've I've got to figure out how to. Even if you only get the people in the countries that have a team, right? Because I, I don't expect that. But they, but, but, but I don't expect that folks in Ethiopia are trying to get on the satellite dish to get ESPN to watch the World Hockey Classic. All right, I don't I, the World Hockey Championship. I don't expect that. But even if you can somehow find a way just to get the people in the countries that have hockey, well, they're doing that though. They're they, doing it the best they can, Scott. They're gonna, they're but they're gonna... not having the same success. <clears throat> My point is that even though Italy was out. Even though Italy didn't make this World Cup, I guarantee you the TV ratings for the World Cup in Italy would be exceptional because you will still watch the World Cup. But 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 the rationale is like the National Hockey League are playing games in England now. The NFL are playing games in England. The NHL are going to play games, I, albeit I think it's exhibition, in China. You can take your sport to them and hope that they gravitate to it. But the reality is when there's so many people that play soccer and poorly – there are soccer pitches in Rockton. There's mm-hmm. lots of soccer pitches in Dundas. I mean, there are soccer pitches all over the world. When we were and in if Af- you take the NFL and the NHL to a country, and they have 
enough rinks to let 1% of the people play, it can never get as big. It's impossible. When we were in Africa in the middle of Kampala on a field that wasn't even close to flat, if you were at the one end, you were playing uphill the whole way. But there was a dirt field that was there to play. But, you know, the other point is, we only have a couple minutes left on this. The other point is that I think soccer has done better than all the other sports, which explains an awful lot. And it's not something that happens overnight. We didn't have the... NHL players in the Olympics this last time for reasons we can go into all the details of why we didn't. NBA players don't always go to the World Base- World Basketball Championship. The World Baseball Classic doesn't get all the players. Somehow, every single team in the World Cup gets every player they want or they need from their country. There is never a time when you will see Cristiano Ronaldo say, yeah, I'm sitting this World Cup out. I'm just, I'm, I'm really tired. There's nobody, Lionel Messi is not going to go, I'm sorry, I can't play for Argentina this time because I really, I've had a tough season. And, and you can't make the argument that, that uh, the NHL or around here, you might say, well, he's not going, he's making too much money, the Major League These Baseball. guys are making 10 times know, what NHL players are making. That's why you can't make the argument. And you can't make the argument, I mean, you could try, because I know that hockey for sure is such a physical sport that you could have guys getting hurt. I understand that, but you can have guys getting hurt. You can have guys getting hurt in soccer. I watched enough soccer in that World Cup tournament to think that I thought I saw four or five fatalities. Well, yeah, but they quickly popped up. Yeah, they they didn't miss a shift. The guys that really are hurt don't act nearly as much as the guys that, that look like they're But somehow soccer... The folks behind soccer and FIFA, you know, as whatever. You can't replicate it. But they have been able to convince every franchise around the yeah. world, every private club around the world in every league releases their players to go play for their national teams, even if it means being away from their club team for an extended period of time, even if it means risking injury, even if it means wearing them out. Because those guys who come back, the French guys, the Croatian guys, they're going to be exhausted for a few weeks, just like the NHL players are when they come home from the Olympics. But they do it. They all do it. Every single team buys into this. And I don't know how they've done it, but it's in no other sport where you have the complete universal buy-in from the entire sport across the board. Well, track and field you do, but I get it. But there's no team in track and field. There's no teams that you don't have to be released yeah, from. True. You don't have to miss a chunk of your schedule. You don't have to yeah. let because here's well they a, do a lot of scheduling around this they stuff do, too right they do but the next World Cup the one that's in Qatar because the heat is now going to be in November and December which is going to screw everything up for them but you, nobody's going to say ah oh, you know that's right in the middle of our season I can't let my guy go too hot it's in the middle of our schedule I can't lose my best two players for three weeks or four weeks or eight weeks plus training camp no one says that they're all fine with this. And the only, and I was thinking about this, the only other example I can think of where there is basically universal buy-in to release players to go for a tournament is the World Junior Tournament, that the junior teams will allow their players to go, and it may cost you three or four weeks, and you could lose 10 games in that stretch. If you, if you lose two or three guys, it can decimate you, and but they do it. But they do it, and I and well, that's a personal thing too. Because well, part of the junior hockey is you're trying to develop guys and get them drafted. Yeah, but a lot of them are drafted when they play. I mean, that's not, not the same if you're guys. Real Madrid or if you're Barcelona no, or if you're Manchester I, United, and yet they still say, "Yeah, go, go, do yeah, it." I can't think of another sport that does it, but I can't think of another sport that has a bigger stage. I, well, no, 
clearly not. Although that could also be a disadvantage to some of these teams. Let's say that now you are the club team of Messi. He's a bad example because he had a really bad World Cup. You're Cristiano Ronaldo and you go there and you just dominated the World Cup and he's coming up for a contract. You're right. That biggest stage, it's got nothing to do with what happened in your club team, but now your club team is going to pay for him because of what he did on that international stage. So, and even then they say, go, please go. We, we release you to go. I, if all the other I don't sports. I they say, please go, but they let him go. If all the other sports follow that lead, I'm convinced that in time, because don't forget, we're not in the first or second World Cup ever. This has been going on for a while now. It's tradition. But I think that the NHL was seeing signs of that with the Olympics. I don't know what they've done by. I don't think it'll ever be the same level. Just, no, it won't be the same I level. Mean, there's billions of people that play soccer. Yep, yep. No, it's not the same level. But if you're ever going to try and create the same kind of thing, the only way to do it is by convincing the guys to go and releasing them to go and not putting up a fight when they go and not trying to find insurance excuses or whatever else. Yeah. You need every great player in your sport, in the world, in that event, and then you can say, that was fantastic. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This didn't actually happen over the weekend, Don, but there was a... Um, so the Toronto Raptors, everybody knows the Toronto Raptors have struggled when it comes to playoffs. Great regular season team. Atrocious playoff team. They are the paper tigers, paper lions, if there ever were such a thing. So... There's this guy who plays for San Antonio who's a huge star, probably one of the top five players in the entire NBA named Kawhi Leonard who doesn't want to be in San Antonio anymore. He wants to be traded to the Lakers to play with his buddy LeBron. But they seem to have reached an impasse in San Antonio and he's not coming back there. And so there's a big discussion about, well, where's he going to get traded to? Where's San Antonio going to trade him? Well, somehow, suddenly, out of the blue, the Toronto Raptors are now the favorites to go and get this guy. However, San Antonio is not giving up Kawhi Leonard, one of the top players in the league, for a bag of magic beans. You are going to be giving up probably one of either Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan. You're probably going to be giving up a few first-round draft picks. You're probably going to give up one or two of your young, improving, rapidly getting better bench players, young guys. So you're going to bring a piece in but it's going to cost you pieces, and here's the kicker. Kawhi Leonard is a free agent after uh, next he year. He has one year left on his contract and said he won't play in the East. And he after. is saying he's going to Los Angeles. So if you are the Raptors, do you look at what you've done and say, look, we've got a nice team, but we have n- we cannot win in the regular. We cannot win this thing. We can win the regular season. We can't win the playoffs. We're going to take. The, we're going to roll the dice here, give up one of our core pieces and some other stuff for the chance that for one year – we can get access to one of the best players in the league and we're going to take a run at it. It's going to cost us down the road. We'll pay for this down the road, but we have one year that we could possibly do this. Would you, you're a GM, you've made trades, you've made moves. Would you do something like that? If I thought I could win it all, um, I, I'm not convinced that if they do that, the Toronto Raptors can win the NBA championship. I'm not convinced the Raptors would win the championship if they kept Le- uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and added Kawhi Leonard. I'm not convinced they would beat the Golden State Warriors with those three guys in the lineup. Well, we may never know. We, we may no. know now that LeBron's gone. They can't even get there. But if you add one piece 
and subtract subtract another one and lose some fuel. First of all, I think the price you're talking about is astronomical for a guy that will not resign with you. Yep. Like yep. I don't, I can't see DeRozan and multiple first round draft picks and something else for him. Well, I, I would. You would, you could probably say very safely that if if it had to be Lowry or DeRozan, it would be one of those two guys plus one of your really young, good up-and-coming bench players, and if you somehow convinced Kawhi Leonard to re-sign at the end another, of the year, you get two first-round yep. picks or something. That that I could see as a as a possibility, but they're not giving him away for, for nothing. I do, I, I'd give one of the stud players away and, a, and a, not a bad kid, and the option if we, I'm sure it would be a second-round pick if you make it to the finals, or maybe a fir- one first-round pick if you make it to the finals. And three others if you win the NBA championship, because then you dine out on that NBA championship for a long time. Would you? But okay, make it to the finals. Is making it to the finals sufficient? I mean, they've never been there, so it would be an improvement. I'm not. Uh, that's clear. But to me, I don't want to do it unless I think that I can win this thing, and right. I don't think you can beat this. I don't think anybody can beat Golden State, so I'm not at this point. When I say, why would you do it if you? I, I, I would only do it if I thought it, I really could have a shot at beating Golden State, and I don't think that does it. But when you say, what does it mean to go to the finals? I mean, ask the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, but the Vegas Golden Knights got to the finals as a great miracle story of a bunch of castoffs that had a terrific story. If my point is, it's a big deal that they made it. No matter, but is it? Is it? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that question. Because normally I would say, of course, it's a big deal to make it to the finals. If you make it to the finals this year after LeBron has left the East, it looks like you have made it when the obstacle that you couldn't get past is gone. You only made it because LeBron left. You didn't really achieve well, anything. It, well, it proves that that was the case. But I mean, does it? what does it mean, though, if you make it? If you, well, if somebody's got to make it. If the bully at school leaves school, goes to a different school, and you now are the tough guy, are you really the tough guy, or was it only because... No, I probably shouldn't be glorifying bullies. That's not what I'm trying to do, but you get my point. Yeah. If, if you are... If you suddenly become the tough guy because the real tough guy leaves, are you really a tough guy? Or are you a tough guy by default? If you get to the finals because the guy who was the best player and the best team leaves, does it say anything about you or just that you're opportunistic and you, you made it through and you muddled through because you suddenly didn't have the obstacle anymore? Well, it's, it's, like, it's like getting a birdie on a golf, golf course and you hit a rock and it bounces on the green. There's no room in the scorecard for descriptions. When you look at that trophy and your name's on it as a finalist or a champion, by the time it's all, you know, five years from now, the Tampa Bay Lightning won a Stanley Cup. The Carolina Hurricanes have won a Stanley Cup. Nobody says, yeah, but do you remember that uh, Carolina played two teams and their four best players? Nobody talks about that. Who did Tampa Bay beat in the final? Um, Tampa Bay, oh. I know, I know who Carolina beat. <laughs> yeah, I know who Carolina beat because you have, we have connections to that team. With I Tom was there. And, yeah, but that one's an easy one. But we could go back and look over the last 10 Stanley Cup champions, and I bet you we could only come up with three or four that they played in the finals because they don't, people don't remember. People don't remember who's in the final. I, I, if you're going to make this kind of trade, this better be a trade because you believe you could actually take that team on and beat them, and unless Golden State, unless their well, entire... They 
No, unless their entire team gets attacked by a swarm of tsetse flies and they all end up with dengue fever or something, or or they all pull their groins simultaneously. I'm not sure an all-star team from the East could be Golden State. No, and I don't think tsetse flies give you dengue fever either, but that's beside the point, Who, just in case what, someone wants to call. What does? I, uh, dengue flies. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, you could put. I, I wrote that in, in my Saturday column a couple weeks ago. I don't think that an Eastern All-Star team would beat the starters for Golden State right now. If they're healthy, and that's no guarantee. I thought that was my idea. Sorry, I didn't read it. No, 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 no. That's fine. But I agree with you. I don't think that, so, and, and, you know, so what's your, what is the point of doing this if you were going to do it? If it's. Tickets, sponsors. Tickets. Money. It's all about the money. Maybe. Maybe. I, 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 I'm not sure that people are. I'm not sure that people would buy in. If you had a guy who, if you see when you had a rental player and you're, let's say, a Stanley Cup team or a Major League Baseball team, we know who the rental players are. Rarely are you giving up your core star players. It's always an addition. So you can say, like when the Blue Jays did it in 2015, they brought in some guys. You could still cheer for them because your your core players were still there. You're not getting rid of your stars to make those guys arrive. And so this guy will help put you over the top, but here you're talking about we are literally telling you as the fans it is this year or we're done we're gone because after this for the next two or three or four years we are a re- rebuilding project yeah um i don't know i don't um i, I just i don't see the upside i don't see the upside to the raptors even considering well is there any evidence they're going to do it um Sounds like a dumb thing to do. When you have no chance in all, when he has said, after this year I'm signing in L.A. Yeah. He's not hiding it. So essentially what you would be doing if you're Toronto then, if you're the Raptors then, is either saying we're going for this one year and it's come hell or high water. This is the year and we're either winning or we're going right down the toilet after this. Or... We believe that we have such a good team, such a good city, such a good setup here that a guy who has made it clear he wants to be in California with LeBron James, if he spends a year in Toronto, he will completely change course and he will decide he wants to stay here. And I, look, I love Southern Ontario. I grew up in Toronto. I don't know if there's any evidence to support that. I don't, I don't, I don't hate Toronto. Uh, You know, I. I don't necessarily love going down there and driving all the time, but I mean, it's a, you know, unlike a lot of play. I don't hate the city of Toronto. I don't believe though that a guy who has got his head already set that he's going to California to play with his buddy is suddenly going to say, yeah, I, I'm willing to wait to go through the winters. I'm willing to go through showing my passport every time I fly to another game. I'm willing to do, I, I see no evidence. It's of not that. that onerous when they, when they show up on a, private jet and the guy walks through and looks at passports. It's not a, it's not like you and I lining up for 40 minutes to get through. Trust me. 40 minutes. Where do you go? You have the express pass. It's like Ham- two and a half hours. Oh, Hamilton. Hamilton. I've only ever flown her to Hamilton once and tried to do it two other times and never was able it, flights got canceled. It's great. It's a great place. Yeah. Oh. It's a great place. It is, it is ahead only in local markets. It is ahead only of Toronto Island airport. If you ever flown out of Toronto Island airport. I have. And Buffalo, but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the thinking is. I really, really would be intrigued to see if they traded for this guy, but I think it would be one of those things where 
somebody may want to get the GM to take a little PP test to make sure that there's nothing in his system if he actually Mahia Jury, right? That's Jury, yeah. So if he thinks his best before date in Toronto could, as a general be, manager that could be too. has two years to go on it. Better win one. Because he just fired the coach of the year in the NBA going, all right, I'm running out of uh, uh, gangway here and the plank's getting a little short. Why don't I pull this off because I'm not going to be here in three years anyway. Did we not see that with Alex Anthopoulos? Yep. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The uh, Home Run Derby is on tonight, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. What is the best professional All-Star Game? Not the game itself, because most of them stink. Baseball is probably the best one, and that's not saying much. Home Run Derby in baseball, NHL Skills Competition, NBA Slam Dunk Competition, and I don't know, does the NFL at Pro Bowl have still have that quarterback challenge thing where they throw balls through golf cart tires and stuff? I don't know. But which one's the best one as far as the, the non-game but the, the peripheral stuff? Slam dunk. No question? I, sometimes the home run der- derby is a lot of fun, but I think those two sports, I the, the, the slam dunk, the guys can get pretty creative, right? And... The baseball can't. They're just trying to pound it out of the park. They're trying to hit it out of the city, which is a lot of fun when they're hammering away. But you you get bored with it pretty fast. I mean, you, I, mean I, I don't want to watch an hour and a half of guys hitting home runs. You don't like 1998 baseball? Yeah. <laughs> That's what the well, whole thing I was. mean, they're throwing lob balls at them, eh? They're, well, yeah. they're grooving them down the middle at 85 miles an hour or whatever it is. It's like and, guys, these guys playing slow pitch. Yeah, they're they're because you're pitching to yourself, teeing it up, right? So I don't know. I I like the slam dunk uh, if I'm going to watch, which I generally don't. I guess the uh, the part about the slam dunk I like is you can kind of pick it up on highlights and get the five best ones without wasting two hours. When the slam dunk contest is done well, and there have been some years when it's been fantastic, yep. you know, the Vince Carter year, there been some other ones. Uh, when it's done well, it's it's amazing. When it is not, it's just terribly boring. Who's that? Spud Webb. Spud Webb. See, there's, there's, when, when, I mean, four Michael, foot seven. When Michael Jordan won one year, it was great. The one where that launched his, uh, his logo, the one of him with the, yeah. you know, uh, that came from the slam dunk on it. Dominique Wilkins winning it. Spud Webb winning it. Again, Vince Carter winning it. There have been some that are memorable. But you got the judge this year, not even in it. Yeah. Aaron Judge. He won it last year. In the, everybody in the home thinks, run derby, yeah. He, everybody thinks he can hit it out of the state. Nah, I'm going to take a pass. Kind of like the World Cup, the stuff we talked about earlier. You know, the World Cup, they don't take passes. These guys, they're trying to sell the sport. Yeah, I would, um, you know what, I, and, but you know what I would love to see? And again, I've said this before, we've got to go to break. I've said this before with other sports. I've always believed that there is a problem with Olympic sports, as an example, and that is, you have no context. When when yeah. Usain Bolt lines up for the 100 meters and he and all the other guys take off and they're all these incredible, freakishly good athletes and they all roar down the track and finish in nine point whatever seconds. What does that mean? I think every single time when it comes to the Olympic 100 meter finals, some average guy should also be given one of the lanes. So you can see... Put it in perspective. To put it in perspective, how good these guys are with the swimmers. When Penny Alexiak is ripping back and forth, there should be some average woman who swims at the Y... Who gets lapped. 
doesn't matter. You then see how good these athletes are. What there should be in the home run derby, there should be some guy who is a men's league guy who hits a few home runs in his men's league. And let's see what he could do as to give some context. I always think context in sports is tough because all, you're only playing with great players. I think your Olympic analogy is better because not a lot of people do those Olympic things. Lots of guys play baseball, so it's easier for them to relate to it. Yeah. I don't know that you want to have Olympic people doing like the luge and the skeleton because you'll end up having fatalities. The javelin would be fun to watch. <laughs> well. Not a great spectator sport, but. As long, yeah. Well, no, but having someone as an, an average person, just a, a, an, a, an amateur, chuck the javelin. And I know some of these guys do shot put. Shot put, they bring lighter balls. I think it would be fascinating, and I would think it would be fascinating to see in the NHL skills competition to put some guy on there who plays men's league. Because, again— I'd like to see Mark Juris do it. Well, Mark Juris is not exactly an average guy. No. Local player is now—I don't know how old Mark is now. He's in his 50s, but he still could probably play. But, no, when you have the the target shooting and you see Paul Coffey back in the day hit four and four, give me a guy who plays men's league, and let's see what he does. I— it always, the problem athletes have is they're so good now, but they're all so good. You can't put it in perspective. You can't put it in perspective. So give me a, give me a chubby guy who plays men, or men's slow pitch softball and see how you do in the home run derby. Give him a proper bat. Give him a guy throwing him fastballs right down the plate. And let's see if you can hit any out or even hit the warning track. And that, so now you've got a guy who's a big hitter who can't get it to the warning track, and suddenly Aaron Judge steps up and hits one 77 rows back into the stand. Now you go, oh. Chicago did that in a regular season game with a goaltender. That was pretty good. Well, yeah, but not intentionally. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.